Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. We're honored that you would be with us. Um, we wanted to just pause for just a minute and give you a quick update on our Discover Life campaign. Um, we have been in this building since the 1st of October, so almost two months. Uh, isn't that awesome? Uh, and I think we would all agree that, uh, man, the Lord has really blessed our church. Um, Not only the ministry here in this service on Sunday mornings, but our children's ministry and renovation on the activity center, which is actually going to be renamed the student center, began this week. Uh, So we're uh, updating that and getting that ready. And so we're excited about that. Hope to have that done here in just the next couple of weeks. I wanted to give you an update on the financial portion of this. As most of you know, uh, we secured a construction loan in order to get this done. Our budget for this whole entire project, it was a little over $800,000, which is a lot of money. And our trustees and elders, we did not make the decision to borrow money or to go into debt lightly. We did that very prayerfully, uh, looked at scripture, and made that decision very carefully uh, and with a commitment that we're going to pay this back, okay? We're not, we're not a church that wants to stay in debt, so we have made a commitment to pay this back as quickly as possible as the Lord provides. And so I just wanted to tell you that just since uh, we started this project, in five short months, we have already paid over $17,500 in principal on this loan. Isn't that awesome? Let's give God thanks for that. And that's only possible, that's only possible because many of you are giving faithfully to our Discover Life campaign. Many of you made pledges to support this in an ongoing way, and you're giving above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings. Our building fund is growing, and so here's what we want to do. Right after Christmas, we want to pay down a large chunk of principal. We've been already eating at it every month as much as we can. Our building fund is growing, and we want to we pay down a large chunk of that. And so we want to invite you to participate with us in that through a year-end offering. Uh, every year we invite you to do that as you are wrapping up your year financially. If you would like to give to our Discover Life campaign, you can do that uh, before this tax year ends uh, just by designating that gift, either year-end offering, Discover Life campaign, building fund, what, however, you, any one of those three is fine, and it's going to go towards principal. We're going to pay down a large chunk after the first of the year, and we're going to celebrate that together. Uh, our goal is to just make significant progress on that every year, every month, every week. So thank you for helping us with that. Thank you for uh, partnering with us in that. It would not be possible without your faithful giving. So thank you for being a part of that. And, and can we just give God thanks for his provision? Because where he guides, he provides. Amen. I want to read a scripture, and then we're going to continue to worship this morning. This is from uh, uh, Peter's epistle, First Peter. And it's really what we've been talking a lot about from our study through Romans, which we're going to pick up today. But Peter writes and says, He, 
talking about Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were, like, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Father, I pray that you would enrich our souls, our hearts, and our minds with the truth of the gospel. You have defeated death. You have defeated sin. You have broken its power over our lives for those who believe. And now we have been gifted with grace. We have been gifted with your spirit. And so, Lord, let us celebrate that. Let us savor that today, that you have done this great thing. You are to be praised. You are worthy. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship. Father, I, I sat in a football stadium last night with some 80,000 people and watched them celebrate with great joy and jubilation a victory. And I wonder why it is that sometimes your church under-celebrates the victory that you have won over death and sin. I wonder why the same joy, the same jubilation is absent at times from your people, from your church. But I'm so thankful for your word because your word helps us, helps us understand the victory that has come to your people, to your church, because of your grace, because of your kindness, your mercy, because of your love. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us see, that you would help us savor, that you would help us celebrate, that you as we turn a corner now in our study through Romans, from focusing on the bad news to now celebrating the good news, by your Spirit, help us see so that we may bring you glory in our joy in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. <clears throat> the apostle writes and says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it or testify of it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood 
be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The greatest victories are celebrated on the heels, oftentimes, of the greatest challenges or obstacles that have been fought. And that's really where we're at in Romans, is that Paul has spent the better part of three chapters to really tell us the true nature of the human condition apart from Christ, apart from a work of grace. And Paul concluded what we've called the tour of the human condition. We've made all sorts of stops on that tour. But he concluded it by stringing together a litany of Old Testament passages really to root his claims about the human condition, namely that apart from God, apart from a work of grace, human beings have nothing to offer to God, no way to compensate for our unrighteousness before a righteous God. Paul strung together these quotes to root that claim in Scripture. We saw that in verses 10 through 18, and these were some of the things we read. We read that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned astray and have become worthless. No one does good, and so on. And so we left last week really asking the question, how is it possible that someone, a human being, could be justified before a holy and righteous God? How is that even possible? I wonder how I wonder what kind of understanding we actually have as Christians about our justification about what that even means. You know, as a pastor, I often meet with people who are struggling with forgiveness. They're struggling to forgive someone who has sinned against sinned against them or hurt them, or they might be struggling to forgive themselves because they've sinned and they've caused themselves all kind of grief and misery. People struggle with forgiveness, and this is not a sermon on forgiveness, but I'll say this much. I think the reason we struggle with forgiveness so much is because while we can truly forgive, we can cancel a debt someone owes us, it's impossible for us to forget, isn't it? If you, you might have sinned against me, you might have hurt me in a significant way, and I can forgive you. We can move on. If we stay in relationship after the offense, we might talk about it less and less. We might think about it less and less. But I can't ever really remove your guilt, can I? Because you still did it. I still remember it. You still remember it. You might try to make up for it. You might try to compensate for it by doing good things for me. You know, a parent that abuses a child 
That parent could spend a lifetime trying to make up for that, trying to make amends for that evil. And a child might actually at some point offer forgiveness to that parent or to that caregiver. But can that person ever really be justified? Can they ever really be absolved of their guilt? Is that even possible? Stop and think about it. You know, we can, we can send a criminal to prison for decades. We can strap them to a gurney and inject lethal drugs into their system and take their life. But does that justify them? Does that make them just? Does that really ever remove their guilt? You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, in the latter years of his life, he said that the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone is the doctrine upon which the Christian church rises and falls. And he actually warned that as time went on, the church would be tempted to be distracted from the doctrine of justification by faith alone and revert back to a dependence on works righteousness. In fact, the most controversial aspect of the Reformation of the 16th century was over this word alone, justification by faith alone. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church does not deny the necessity of faith. It does not deny the necessity of grace. It does not deny the centrality of the cross or the necessity of a person's faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. The issue with the Catholic Church really is Jesus plus. Because the Catholic Church to this day holds that though grace is necessary, faith is necessary, the cross of Christ is necessary, it's possible to have faith and not be justified. I'll give you an example. Years ago, Mary and I lived in Simpsonville in a neighborhood, and we had these really good friends in the, in the neighborhood uh, who were Catholic. And we hung out in the neighborhood a lot in our cul-de-sac, and our kids would play. We got to know them a little bit. Part of their story was when their, this husband and wife, when their relationship began, before they were married, they moved in together, which according to the Catholic Church is a mortal sin. And so they stopped going to confession. I'm not really sure why, but it was somewhere around that time they just stopped going to confession. Or maybe they just didn't want to face a priest about this mortal sin that they had committed of moving in together before they got married. And so I remember as they had a son that was about the same age as my son. As their son grew older, it came time for him to take his first communion. And he could not take his first communion until his parents had dealt with this issue. And had gone back to confession. So they went to confession. I remember we were standing in the cul-de-sac talking with the wife. And the husband comes home. He had been to confession. He walked up. He joined us in the cul-de-sac. We started talking. And then this was what his wife asked him. She said, well, what did you get? He said, I got a certain number of Hail Marys and a certain number of Our Fathers. And I sat there in amazement. The issue between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church is not really over confession, it's over penance. Because if you commit a mortal sin, even though you have faith, you're still not 
justified until you pay your penance, either in this life or in the next, in purgatory. But this is not what the Bible teaches. And when the great reformers got their hands, like Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and Tyndale, when they got their hands on the Greek New Testament and they started reading the words of Paul, they suddenly went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is clear as day. You read the writings of Paul and it's so clear what the Bible teaches. And in this, in this passage, there are three things that I think Paul makes so abundantly clear. And let me, let me just give you those three things for those of you that are taking notes and then we'll talk about them. Here's the first thing. Number one, true justification for a believing sinner is possible. True justification for a believing sinner is possible. Here's number two. Justification is a gift of grace that is received by faith. True justification is possible. And justification is a gift of grace that is received by faith in Jesus. Here's number three. And here's the biggie. No effort or work of man contributes in any way to this justification. Let me say it again. No effort or work of man contributes in any way to this justification. You believe it, right? And you amen it, but it jostles the soul a little bit, doesn't it? Nothing? I can't do anything? It's not Jesus plus. You remember? That's right, that's good. I'm going to write that down, Michael. Jesus period. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period. Do you remember Paul? He had to deal with this issue with the Galatians. They had faith in Christ. They believed in the sacrifice of Jesus. But they tried to add circumcision back in. And here's what he said to them. Galatians 5 verse 2. You can look on the screen. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, we could insert there Jesus plus anything, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Jesus plus doesn't work. It doesn't work because when you add anything, any effort of man to the work of Christ on the cross for our justification, it immediately diverts us back into a dependence on the law. And here's what Paul has made abundantly clear, right? We know this. We've been journeying with Paul through Romans. The law cannot save us. Let me just remind you what Paul said in verse 20 of chapter 3, Romans 3, verse 20. He said, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we said last week that the law doesn't just make us aware of sin. The law actually has a way of awakening our sinful nature, exposing it. Because mankind, in its natural state, rebels against God. That's what we've come to understand. So, 
What's Paul's solution to this problem? Justification is possible for the believing sinner. This justification is received as a gift of grace through faith. And no human effort or work contributes in any way to it. Let's see what Paul has to say about that. I don't want you to just take my word for it. See it in the text. Verse 21 again. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. You remember how last week Paul anchored his indictments against the human condition in the Old Testament Scriptures. So now he's doing the same thing with the Gospel. He says, look, the good news, this righteousness manifested apart from the law, man can't earn righteousness, so God's going to gift people or impute people with righteousness apart from the law. The law's been telling us that story the whole time. It's been testifying of that the whole time. You remember that the law included a sacrificial system, right? Jews were given the law, and what happened? They can't keep it. No matter what, they just could not keep it. And so sacrifices had to be made, which point us to the fact that a substitutionary work had to be done. I read this old, dusty theologian this week that said, his name's Vincent, he said this, he said, where the law commanded me, do this and live, but gave me neither feet nor hands, the gospel bids me fly and gives me wings. I love that. You should read some old dusty theologians. So the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. And here's what we've come to understand. Everybody has got to somehow take advantage of this gift of righteousness. Why? Verse 22. Because there's no distinction. All have sinned. Past tense. Anybody in here never sinned? Right? And all fall short, present and ongoing tense, of the glory of God. Of God, all have sinned. So there's this righteousness manifested apart from the law that is received by faith. Everybody say faith. You remember in Matthew's gospel, the story about the Roman centurion that came to Jesus one time? He had this servant who was sick, paralyzed, was suffering. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I've got this servant, he's suffering, he's sick, he's paralyzed. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion's response was amazing. He says, Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Somehow, and and I don't think, don't get me wrong, I don't think this centurion understood Jesus to be the son of God. But somehow he got his mind around, this guy is a holy man and I am unholy. But this guy has the power because he said to him, Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Just say it from here, and my servant will be healed. Because I too am a man under authority. I tell people to go here and go there, and they do what I tell them. 
And here's what Jesus' response. Truly in all of Israel, I have not seen faith such as this. And he spoke the word and the guy was healed. Now, if you've been at rest for any length of time, here's what we know as we study scripture. Jesus doesn't heal people just to show off. And he's not healing people just to let everybody know he's God. He's teaching. And the cool thing about this miracle is that he explains what's going on. And here, here's what Jesus says after he heals the guy. After celebrating his faith, he says, Many are going to come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now he's talking to Jews. What does he mean by that? Simply put, he's saying, look, there are going to be a lot of non-Jews that are going to be saved. People with no religious tradition, no religious heritage, they don't understand the law, they don't know the law, but they're going to be saved. That would have shocked his Jewish audience. And then he says this. He says, many who are sons of the kingdom, many who are Jews, in other words, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As much as you can with your imagination, put yourself in the shoes of the Jews hearing this. You're part of the people of God. You got the law. We celebrate Passover. And you're telling us that some of us won't be saved and some of these pagan Gentiles are going to be saved? What's going to make the difference? What was the point of the miracle? Faith. Faith is what's going to make the difference between who is saved and who is not saved. And that was the whole point of that miracle. It was the power of God that healed this servant. But faith is the agency through which this centurion availed himself to that power on behalf of his servant. You with me? There's a righteousness of God manifested apart from the law, has nothing to do with my effort or work, but I receive that righteousness by faith? Really? Verse 24. It's not by works, not by religion, not by law-keeping, not through penance, not through good deeds, not through church attendance, not by giving financially. It's only by faith, this righteousness manifested apart from the law. Verse 24, all have sinned and fall short and are justified. Everybody say justified. Justified by His grace is a gift to the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The word Paul uses there is it's, a, it's an act of spontaneous generosity. And this is really going to mess you up. With no expectation of return. That's what the word means. God's grace. Free gift. Free. But it wasn't cheap. That's why Paul says... It's a free gift. Grace is a gift through the redemption. Everybody say redemption. These words matter, people. Little parentheses in the sermon. 
If you hear these words, redemption, justification, faith, propitiation, which we're about to get to in a minute, and those words make no sense to you, get a Bible dictionary, turn your TV off, turn your phone off, and dig in. These words matter big time. His grace is a gift, generous, by the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That word redemption is the word that was used to refer to a slave being bought at a slave market. How many of you know that apart from Christ, we're slaves to sin? We were purchased out from under that slavery. And Paul has said, the law and the prophets have been testifying of this. Paul says, I'm not making this stuff up. It's what the whole point of the Old Testament is. And perhaps there's no clearer picture of our redemption than the story of Hosea the prophet. I love talking about this story. I talk about it a lot. If you don't know the story, Hosea is a prophet in Israel. And at this time in Hosea's life, God is ticked off, to say the least, with Israel because of her sin and rebellion. And in order to demonstrate his wrath against their sin and rebellion, he comes to Hosea, the prophet, and he says, Hosea, I want you to take a wife, and her name is Gomer. Not Gomer Pyle, but Gomer. It gets worse. Gomer is a prostitute. But it gets worse. They have children. Two of which God tells Hosea to name, no mercy, and the other, not my people. Did you clean your room, no mercy? Did you take a bath, not my people? It gets worse. Gomer leaves Hosea and runs into the arms of another lover. Now, the details are sketchy. We don't know exactly how, we're not told exactly how Hosea felt about all this, but you can imagine, can't you? She leaves. But then God comes to Hosea, and this is what he says. I'm going to have mercy on no mercy. I'm going to say to not my people, you are my people. And then he says to Hosea, go find Gomer. So he leaves, he goes, he searches, and he finds her being sold on an auction block as a slave and he buys her with a hefty price. We talk about this. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. I mean, you're thankful for mercy. Grace is getting far more than what we deserve. God says to no mercy, I'm going to give you mercy. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. And then he says to not my people, that's mercy. You are my people, that's grace. 
We who deserve no mercy are shown mercy. We who deserve, don't deserve to be called God's people are called to Him and we are called His people. Oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and yet that is what we are. That's grace. And that was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. It's free, but it wasn't cheap. So righteousness manifested apart from the law. Nothing to do with me. And it was given to me as a gift of grace. Generous, spontaneous gift of grace that was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. And I receive all of that by faith. How? How can God do this and be just? Right? I mean, that's the question we should be asking. How can he do this and be just? Verse 25. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and justifier. So God is just in doing this. In justifying sinners, He's just. That does not compute in human logic. So how did He do that? He put forward Christ as the propitiation. I love this song we sing at Res a lot of times, in Christ alone, right? I hope as we study through Romans, you're starting to sing differently. I hope these words, I know they are for me. Death was arrested and my life began. That's hitting me in a fresh new way. Listen to these words. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's propitiation. Actually, the word means, I love this, exhausted. The wrath of God was exhausted in the cross of Christ. That shatters any notion that I contribute in any way to my justification. Because I receive the wrath-exhausting sacrifice of Christ by faith. I trust in it. I abandon myself to that truth that Christ died and exhausted the wrath of Our justification, listen to me, it's not a pardon. It's not just a pardon. Let me say it that way. It's not just a pardon. I know there are hymns that use that word, and that's part of the story. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. There is a pardon aspect to the gospel. I am shown mercy. 
But that only gets me halfway there. Because a pardon only forgives, it doesn't justify. But in Christ's sacrifice, in the wrath-exhausting, substitutionary atonement of Jesus, I'm not just pardoned, I'm justified. I'm made righteous so that even when saved people sin, I'm still righteous. You say, well, Bradley, hold on a minute. Notice the next statement. This was to show the right, God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. What, what, what's Paul talking about there? His, his Jewish audience, or really anybody, would have started to raise a question here. We should probably be asking it too. What about all those people that died before Jesus? What about, what about people, and he's going to mention this in chapter 4 next week, Abraham, who was justified before Jesus died. How does that work? Well, here's what Paul is saying, I think, is that it doesn't matter, in the mind of God, it does not matter whether he justifies a person before or after the cross. Because in the mind of Christ, or in the mind of God, in the reckoning of God, the cross is an eternal fact. He was the lamb slain before, right? So it matters not in time when he justifies somebody. What does that have to do with me, Bradley? Here's what it has to do with you, is that Christ's sacrifice exhausted the wrath of God, not just for the sins you've committed in your past, but for all the sins you will commit in your future. All my sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. It doesn't happen without sin being paid for. But God exhausted His wrath by pouring it out on His Son. You and I who believe receive that by faith and we are justified. And then you just fall right in to Paul's next question. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Here's the answer. It's excluded. <laughs> it's excluded. We have no room to boast. You know, a little transparency here. There was a time in my life when I thought on my own that I was a pretty good person. I kind of identify with the moralist back in chapter 2, if you were there with us. I kind of identify with that. You know, I sort of lived with this either conscious or subconscious notion. Well, I've never done those things, so I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad. But the more that I've come to understand the gospel the more my heart breaks, the more my heart breaks for myself and for my brothers and my sisters, my church, family, when we are incapable of seeing past our own sin to the grace of God given to us by the propitiation that He wrought in Christ. 
it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All have fallen short. All have sinned. All of us have robbed the glory that God is due. and We've tried to take it for ourselves. The law is given. The righteous standard of God is given. And we can't measure up. It actually makes us want to do the opposite. We hear don't covet. And what's the first thing you want to do? Yet by faith, a righteousness that's not of our own is given to us, it's imputed to us by grace, and it's received by faith. There are two kinds of people here this morning. There are those of you who have not yet trusted in Christ for salvation you have not received this gift of grace by faith we are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone no effort or work on my part or your part can contribute to that and maybe you're here today and you have not abandoned yourself in faith and received this gift of righteousness There are others here that you have trusted in Jesus, but you're in a vicious cycle. Listen, listen to this carefully. You're in a vicious cycle. The power of sin is broken over your life, but you've welcomed it back in and you've coddled it. And because you know God's righteous standard and you're aware of your sin, you're living in self-defeat because you're realizing that all of your endeavors fail miserably at assuaging your guilt. Can I tell you something? You don't need penance. You don't need to punish yourself. It's not going to work. This, the gospel isn't Jesus plus. The only way you're going to overcome this battle is to be refreshed yet again. By faith, I am justified. By faith, I receive a righteousness that is not of my own. And that was purchased by Jesus by His precious blood and was gifted to me by the grace of God. And you might say, well, Bradley, wait a minute. I, what about my sin problem? I, I, I can't seem to break out of this cycle. I can't seem to get out of this habit. Let me say this. There's more gospel truth you need to understand. We're going to get there in Romans. Paul's going to talk about the fact that we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's going to talk about the fact that we now live by the Spirit, not by the law. The law awakens sin in us, but the Spirit's doing something totally different. He's going to talk about the fact that we're not to continue in sin so that grace may abound all the more. All of that's coming. But before we get to that, this is the place where we are. It's the place where the power of sin is broken over our lives. 
It's the place in which we, our desire for God and our, 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 our thirst for righteousness is awakened when we get our minds around the fact, I'm justified by faith. And I can come to the throne boldly to obtain mercy and find grace. Yeah. If you snuggled back up to sin, you're a believer. Today is the day where you need to come back to savoring. Let the Holy Spirit wash you with a fresh savoring, relishing, celebrating what God has done for you in Christ. That's where it's got to start. Because You know why? Because if it doesn't start there, you are going to treat your sanctification or your growth in holiness as a matter of works righteousness too. You're going you're to come to the place where you think that, yeah, God saves me and then it's up to me, my efforts, my strength, my resources in order to live the righteous life. And that's not what Paul's going to tell us. And unless you get this right, you'll be off the rails before we get there that we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So maybe you just need to come and repent, confess, give thanks to God for what He's done in Jesus and let, when you, when you get a hold of what a great challenge, what a great victory Christ has won, your joy bubbles over and spills over into the righteous life that God's called you to live. The wrath of God was satisfied. Zeke, come on. I'm going to pray and then we're going to open up the altar up here up front for a time of prayer Zeke's going to lead us in just some soft worship for a few minutes and if you have not yet trusted Christ for salvation you can come there are going to be people on this side and on this side that will pray with you if you're a believer who's in the kind of battle and struggle that I just talked about there are going to be people that are on either side that are ready to pray with you you can also just come to the front and kneel and pray by yourself. Or you can remain at your seat and worship and pray. Either way, I, my prayer is that the Spirit of God would work in and through you. So that we become people of the gospel. Because God has done great things. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that by your Spirit you would just lead this time and Lead our hearts to you. Lead our minds to you. I pray that, Lord, it might seem weird to some to come forward for prayer. But I feel like you're moving on somebody's heart. I feel like you're moving on multiple people's hearts that need prayer. And so, would you give us the courage we need to take a step of faith? Sometimes you lead us to take a step in the tangible and the physical and it's that place where you begin to do the spiritual work. So, Lord, would you just move on the hearts of your people?
to respond to you in the way that you would have them to. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You're free to come forward for prayer at any point. Let's continue to worship the Lord. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.